welcome to our Room for Everyone podcast today. We're really excited for today's show. We have an amazing man right here, Tyler, with us today. And the basics of the Room for Everyone podcast is we're trying to build an empathetic community by normalizing experiences one perspective at a time. And we truly are grateful for our guest today and excited to hear more about him, who he is, and why he's on the show today as well. And just a thing to remember, too, is we're here to listen and empathize. Like there's no agenda, no opinions, no questions asked, but really time to listen to you and how you feel. Awesome. Thank you. Um, just as way of explanation, this is Hollis. I'm Mayo and Mike um, and Tyler. Tyler is the star of the show tonight. Um, Tyler is from Linden. He's at BYU. This is his fifth major. Um, he was in a rock band. He's just the greatest guy. Just to, to give a sense of how kind and giving he is, today's actually his birthday, and he's, he's spending it here um, building this community with us. So, Tyler, maybe could you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to be here, and I don't have other plans for my birthday, so this is actually great. I'm going to spend it with these guys, so it's awesome. Uh, yeah, so I'm from Linden, Utah, really close by. I've lived there my whole life, um, and then served a mission in Peru, and then went to BYU, and I've been there for six years now, and I have a year left, but I'm getting close. Uh, I'm studying psychology, and it's my fifth declared major, it is, but I finally decided on it. I'm really excited about it, and I want to go into counseling psychology to be to work in therapy. I'm still figuring out demographics, but I think I would love to work with LGBTQ youth, or you know, some somewhere in there. I think that would be awesome. Awesome. So were you going for like a world record, you know, five majors? You or... know, I was thinking about medicine for a while <laughs> and then decided against it, but figured I'll still go the seven years. I'll still go the same amount of time so I feel validated in that or something. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm happy with psychology. I'm really excited for it. Awesome. Yeah, Tyler was my OCHEM lab TA. So he does his stuff. Right, yeah. A wise, a wise guy. Um, great. Well, we we want to also kind of hear more about why you're here tonight, specifically. Your, your story, we'll get more into the nitty gritty, but could you maybe explain more about your experiences and your, your story? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of my experience and what I share with people is growing up in an LDS culture, being at BYU, and also being gay and identifying as that. And my experiences in you know, come to terms with that identity, being able to manage all the variables that come with that, with, you know, the shame of experience um, coming out. And then, you know, since then being involved in groups and organizations where I get to share my voice and hopefully be able to share some experiences that can help other people, either in understanding um, to build, build empathy, like what we're doing here, but also to help people who are also, you know, asking the same questions that I was and figuring out their own sexuality and what that means for them, what their life might look like. And I'm not here to prescribe anything. I'm gonna share my experience. I don't wanna speak for any other queer people or any other gay people per se, but maybe my experience can help in, in some sense. So how was, uh, how was that journey or that process of coming to terms with identifying as gay? Uh, definitely a process, that's, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, just to give some perspective, I didn't even like really start contemplating things or even allowing myself to think about my sexuality until I was like 22, 23 years old. And so that was a long time from, you know, puberty when I started actually recognizing some of these feelings to the point where I could say like, oh, this is actually happening. This is real. 
And then even more time to say like, actually be able to say like, oh, I'm gay, to say those words and um, be okay with that. So, oh wow, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in, in all of that. <laughs> um, I don't know, anywhere you'd yeah. like to start with? Like, like how long ago are we talking? Like where, where you started really feeling comfortable with your sexuality and like being more open with it? Um, it's been probably three years or so. Uh, so I, I came to terms with it. I accepted myself and I came out to myself about three or four years ago. And um, a lot of that was a spiritual experience, I feel like, uh, because there was so much cognitive dissonance between my sexuality and my beliefs and my values and what that meant. If I actually did accept this and I allowed myself to, to identify as gay, then what? What does that mean about these questions that I've, I've been holding on to and that I can't answer all the uncertainty? So um, it was a process finally getting there. But after that, once I did accept it myself, then slowly I started coming out to friends first. I felt more comfortable with that than, than just jumping out to family. Uh, I'm pretty sure my family knew or suspected at least. Um, we had had conversations before, but I was in deep, deep denial. So yeah. I hadn't told them until just a few years ago. But came out to friends, then family. And then, um, of course, after the honor code stuff happened at BYU, I came out very publicly on Facebook as well over social media. Which is a great post. Maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. But what was what was your experience? Maybe the first time coming out to someone, or yeah, scary for <laughs> sure. Uh, very intimidating. Um, growing up, so I, I, maybe I can give a little context as to why that that was difficult for me. Um, growing up in in Utah, and I, I feel like in a lot of places where there either strongly one-sided politically or religiously or stuff like that, it can be difficult to even have the conversation in the first place. Um, most of the time, there was just silence around this topic. I didn't hear really any conversations about LGBTQ people. And when it did come up, it was usually pretty negative. Um, I would hear comments like about movies, like, oh, I hope that doesn't win an Oscar because it's about a gay couple. Or not only was it maybe they didn't, you know, people didn't like seeing the stuff, but there, there's almost this aspect of disgust with it as well. So even when I came to terms with like my own sexuality, I was still scared because I knew that people didn't like it. And some people were even disgusted by homosexuality. And so coming out, I feared I'm going to be rejected. These people that I've heard these comments from almost my whole life, once they find that out about me, how are they going to view me? What are they going to think about me? What are their perceptions going to be? And even if they do say that, you know, they love and accept me, what are they thinking behind their, those words kind of thing. So it was really intimidating thinking about the friends I might lose, the relationships that, that might affect, how it might um, evolve those relationships. Not maybe I might not lose them, but things might change. And so one of the first, <laughs> one of the first people I came out to was actually a girl I was starting to date. <laughs> so wow. that was a, that was a fun experience. Yeah. Um, I jumped right into it. Apparently I was like, let's go, let's go with trauma. Here we go. Um, but it was actually a really good experience. Uh, it happened before where I had been trying to date girls and I think there's a lot to unpack there too. Yeah. But in, in this case, um, it was around the time where I was willing to at least have the conversation beforehand when I had gone on dates with girls and we're getting to the point, it's like, okay, so what, what are we, are we dating kind of thing? And anytime there's like 
physical touch at all. It was like anxiety hit the roof. And I was just like, we're done. No explanation. I can't give you anything other than like, I'm out. And that sucked. And I hated being the bad guy in that sense of like, sorry, I can't, I can't tell you why, but I'm done. So this time I didn't want to do that. And um, I kind of joke now. I say like, you know, when people say it's not you, it's me. Like I got to say that. I got to be honest about that and say, it's my turn. It's my turn. Like, it's not you. It's me. Um, I'm dealing with same-sex attraction. And that's how I usually initially started coming out was I'm dealing with this thing, same-sex attraction. Um, and I told her that and we had an interesting conversation. It was very emotional. Um, the first time coming out, I, I was just bawling because there was so much pent-up emotion, so much fear before doing it. So when everyone was finally out, I feel like all those emotions just came rushing. And I didn't know how to handle it. I just started crying. And so she started crying too. And from there, we've built like an awesome relationship. She's one of the, my strongest allies, one of my best friends. Wow. She calls herself my straight best friend. And I'm her gay best friend. <laughs> there you <go>. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's been good. Most of my experiences coming out, I can say, have been positive. Mm-hmm. I can say like on an individual level, like one-on-one talking with someone, that there's been really strong negative experiences. Maybe, maybe some difficult conversations and questions to answer, but I wouldn't say like, wow, that was bad. Yeah, I'd love to talk more about what happens before your decision to come out publicly as well. I feel like there's, for everyone planning on coming out to their friends or family, there's definitely a lot of inner turmoil mm-hmm. that happens before that. Culture attributes to that, a lot of things attribute to that. I wanna talk more about like that turmoil that you had or that coming together, like how did you decide you wanted to do it? How did you come to terms with yourself? Like what was that process like? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think one one of the main driving forces was loneliness and solitude. There were times that I I was really struggling either because of uncertainty questions that I had about this topic, um, shame based on like my self image of myself, because I kind of hated this part of myself and um, didn't know how to handle it, or because of other people making comments and jokes about gay people. And I couldn't express why I was hurting, or why I was lonely, or why sometimes going to church was hard, why talks in church might be difficult. And people could tell sometimes that like, I was hurting, but I couldn't say why, because I wasn't ready to to talk about it. And so that loneliness, I was kind of like, I'm done with that. It needs to be out in the open so people can understand what I'm going through and also understand me on a deeper level. I, I didn't feel a need. And I like planning before coming out publicly on Facebook. I never had the plan to do that. But um, I think just being able for other people to see me wholly as who I am was important for me because I've been hiding that for 22 years. And like being in the closet is not fun. It's not a good place. It's not a safe space and it's not a comfortable spot. It's hiding part of who you are and usually in a very shame-based way, not just because of, you know, other reasons, just like, no, I hate this. And that's why I'm here or fear as well. So letting that out was really relieving and I wanted people to be part of my life and understand what I was going through. Yeah. To maybe follow up on that, what's changed since? I guess you had that part that you felt like you disliked or that, that you were hiding. Since you've opened up and, and shown that to the world, how has that changed? 
Um, I feel like it's evolved. You know, it's 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 changed with time and with experiences. Um, for example, when, when I first started coming out, and I, and I don't mean to to say this in a minimizing way or in to invalidate someone else's way of looking at their own sexuality. But for me personally, when I came out, I was I would tell people that I was dealing with same sex attraction in a way to make it seem like it wasn't part of who I was, as it was something that I was just temporarily dealing with and um, something that wasn't connected to me as a person. And I wanted to exclude that from me because it was something that I was still hated and I was still ashamed of. And so I would tell people that because I'm like, well, eventually someday maybe it'll be gone and I don't have to worry about it. Or I had heard, you know, teachings and doctrines from from the church saying like, oh, well, once you're resurrected, like you'll be made perfect, meaning you'll be straight. And I was like, oh, I'll just wait for that then, you know, that sounds great. And I realized how damaging that was to, to me to, to view it that way, because it was still something that I avoided talking about, something that I hated within myself. And so I eventually was able to get over that. Um, and I think it was a pretty spiritual experience how that happened. But I realized that it wasn't a mistake. It's not just something like, you know, God was like, oops, I guess you got to deal with this now. Good luck kind of thing. But it, there's there's reason and purpose behind it. And I don't have all the answers to that. But I think realizing that and accepting it as part of my own identity was really helpful and being proud of who I am and loving myself wholly. Did people's reactions to your coming out post surprise you? Yeah, actually. Um, honestly, there was only one response from someone I didn't even know <laughs> that was negative. Everything else was completely positive, very supportive. Even if um, it wasn't something that maybe they fully understood, people said, thank you for offering the perspective. This is a way of looking at it that I haven't looked at it before. And obviously it was, is there any time where things were really polarized? Like with, <laughs> with the honor code stuff, yeah, there, were, there was a lot of issues there. And so people were very marginalized on the issue and oftentimes very attacking and made it a very us versus them thing. And I tried to avoid that. I tried to just share my experience so people could understand where a lot of LGBTQ people were coming from, where I was coming from, rather than saying, you should believe this, you should do this kind of thing. And hopefully that could bring some empathy. So for the most part, people were yeah. really positive. Did the Honor Code Office announcement uh, impact you wanting to come out? Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. I mean, like publicly on Facebook, that was the driving force. Because had, when you came out, was that uh, before? Uh, was that was that before the second announcement or after the second? After the, the second, okay. yeah, the clarification letter and so, everything. Yeah, so BYU sent out a clarification letter and then uh, you felt that like influenced your decision to come out. Yeah. And and uh, what like what went into that decision? Like, why was it, you know, such a, you know, important uh, motivator? Yeah. Um, uh, maybe could you, in case people aren't aware of that some context. Kind of story, yeah. Could you maybe give a context? Yeah. Yeah, maybe? absolutely. I actually wrote down some notes on this. So um, don't mind me as I look at it. Um, so initially, I. Uh, I don't remember the exact timeline. I think it was in February, uh, late February. The honor code was changed where they were trying to mirror more accurately what the handbook, the church handbook was saying, their wording and how they describe things. And so as part of that, the section about homosexual behavior was removed. And because of that, a lot of students saw that and were curious, what does that mean? There wasn't an announcement. There wasn't any publication from the church or from BYU saying why that had happened. 
And so a lot of students started questioning, okay, what's going to happen now? And so lots of people went to the honor code office and specifically asked the administrators there what this meant and um, what the change would entail. And the answer was pretty unanimous and consistent for everyone that went and asked that, well, we're not going to be punishing students for homosexual behavior. That, that clause has been removed. And so because of that, lots of students um, came out publicly, started showing that they were dating um, in, in same-sex same relationships. And also there was some backlash. There were some groups like, say, BYU and other, you know, Desnets, I think, that responded very critically to this kind of thing. So already it was starting to be polarized. Um, when you first heard the announcement, like, what were, what were the thoughts going through your head? Uh, so I was, I was skeptical, um, which is sad to say, I feel like that my initial thought was, I don't know if I believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's telling for a lot of LGBTQ people and their experience is that they're already on edge because of how they've been treated. And I was skeptical, but at the same time, hopeful because seeing that that clause itself had been removed. I think made me more comfortable to be at school, to be in a place where I could be more open, regardless of whether or not I was planning on dating or what I wanted to do with that. It made me feel like I was in a safer environment mm-hmm. um, because at least there wasn't institutional rules discriminating against me mm-hmm. um, and almost, you know, allowing people to act on their biases and discrimination. So I was excited, but really skeptical at the same time. And hearing, even hearing after hearing all the people go to the honor code office, I was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make any assumptions yet. So I waited, and good thing I did. Yeah. And then there was like a second announcement, right? Like, do you want to share, like, the context of that? Yeah. So the church education system, uh, Elder Paul V. Johnson, uh, released a letter after a lot. It was two weeks after the honor code had been changed or they um, had published the new honor code. And um, it was hard. He basically told um, people, I don't know, it, should I read it? Okay, I wrote it down. So he said, um, one change to the honor code language that has raised questions was the removal of a section on homosexual behavior. According to the letter, the moral standards of the church did not change with the recent release of the general handbook or the updated honor code. There is and always has been more to living the Lord's standard of a chaste and virtuous life than refraining from sexual relations outside of marriage. Lasting joy comes when we live the spirit as well as the letter of God's laws. A foundational doctrine of the, rest of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ is that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God and that the family is central to the creator's plan for the eternal destiny of his children. Church leaders have long taught these principles. Same-sex romantic behavior cannot lead to eternal marriage and is therefore not compatible with the principles included in the honor code. Basically saying that, yes, this section had been removed, but nothing changed. This is still commandment. This is still how we've always viewed the law of chastity and people who misinterpreted that, that's on them kind of thing. And that hurt hearing that. Um, I wasn't surprised per se. I wasn't shocked to read this letter and see that nothing had changed. I was already kind of skeptical and I I feel like I understood the doctrine. I understand the teachings of the church, but I was hurt. 
Um, I don't know. I, I can go yeah. more into where, that. Where, where were you when, <laughs> when you first read that? So I was sitting, I was reading and doing some homework in the library, um, on the third floor, I think that, like in the hub, that computer area. Yeah. Um, and I got the email from, from the church or I can remember BYU. So I opened it up cause I'm like, Oh, honor code stuff. Here we go. Let's see what they have to say about it now. Um, and I read the letter twice through and I, I couldn't stop crying and I was just in the middle of the library and you know, everyone was there. It was before pandemic. So the library was full and I was trying to like, trying to hide like that. I was just bawling at a computer. Um, and I, I sat there for an, an hour um, just trying to figure out why it was so hurtful. And it was, I think there was a lot of emotions and I didn't understand why at the time, but, uh, after an hour of the letter, I had to go be on a panel, a classroom panel for USGA. And that was really hard. I was thinking, what the heck am I going to talk about? What am I going to say to these students that ask questions about this? And, um, when I'm still figuring out my own emotions. Yeah. So that, that was hard. And, yeah. and it was, it was a, an emotional panel, but at the same time, I feel like it was good because we got to talk about some of these things at BYU um, with some students that were willing to have the conversation. So that was helpful. So after being able to process it a little bit, um, again, I, I wasn't surprised about that, you know, that things hadn't changed, but I was, I think, mainly hurt by how it was handled. And um, I think that's mainly because I had been at BYU for five years and Throughout all that time, I felt like I just hadn't been seen in the community. They were having these conversations and making these decisions about LGBTQ people without even thinking about how it would affect us and how their lack of transparency, the lack of explanation would affect the students that they were making these decisions about. And the fact that I wasn't even considered in that or in that thought process, I think that hurt to me. And not only was that I not thought about, but then afterwards was almost blamed for going and trying to figure out what had happened. Um, I don't know where the miscommunication was or where the lack of transparency came from, why there was no apology, why there was no explanation, but the students that went and asked questions, they all got the same answer and yet were almost blamed for misunderstanding that very consistent answer. And it seemed like they cared more about publicity, their, you know, their own PR in their face than the students that they were affecting. And I think that's mainly where a lot of the emotion was coming from. Thank you for sharing about kind of the just thoughts and emotions and feelings you had after all of that. And going back to what you were saying was emotions you were feeling of coming out and everything else, what were your expectations before like coming out to everyone as well and how were they met or unmet after Ooh. um i i'm i'm not sure all of what i expected i feel like i was hoping for the best but preparing for the worst kind of thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i was i was preparing for some really hard conversations and mm. i was preparing for rejection which Thinking back, I'm like, wow, that was how did how did you how did you handle that? That, that must have been awful. Um, looking back now, I'm like, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Like, you know, you were fine. Your conversations you had were wonderful, and you've had really positive things. But beforehand, That's I was scary. like, this is this is gonna be the worst. Yeah. Um, so, 
coming out to friends, I, I feel like I was a little bit less worried just because there wasn't as intense of an emotional connection and expectation for what my life was going to look like. Whereas family, that that's a lot stronger. Um, they've seen you grown up and uh, there's a lot of strong emotional ties and expectations of like, oh, this is what Tyler's life is going to look like, where this is what we're planning for. We were there when he received his patriarchal blessing, all these things. It's like, I don't know if I'm just going to shatter that or put you in shock. And a lot of times, I don't want to throw her under the bus because I love her and I love my mother. (laughs) She is amazing. But um, there were times where we'd have a conversations about other gay people in like the stake and stuff. She used to work with um, a lady in the stake presidency uh, for young women, I believe. And she had a gay son. And the wording that was usually used around that topic when we talked about it was devastating and how hard that must be. And mm. part of the reason I was hesitant to come out to some people was because I didn't want to place that burden on them. I don't want them to feel like, what do I do with this? How do I handle this? Or to be in that devastating state of like, now what kind of thing. Oh, and so, so not only was hard. Yeah. Okay. Not only was it a very personal thing of like, there might be rejection, but I might be putting a lot of burden on other people as well um, when they're not ready for it. So after coming out, um, I have some great stories too we could talk about. I have some fun, fun ones as well. Uh, the first times were very emotional. Um, I think every single time I cried because uh, I wasn't sure. There were, there were mixed feelings. I wasn't sure how they were going to respond. So sometimes it was tears of like relief and joy when they didn't say like, hey, get the freak out of my house kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and then other times just like a wave of emotions of finally letting it out where I was like, okay, we can talk about this now. Um, and sometimes that pain and loneliness was kind of coming through too because I was finally addressing it and talking about it. Uh, how I came out to my mom officially, uh, I came home one day. It was just been a bad day. I think it was in the summer sometime. And I came home and, you know, your mom comes up like, how was your day? And she gave me a hug. And in that hug, I just started crying. (laughs) I started bawling. And she's like, oh, do you need to talk? I'm like, yeah, that would be great. And so that's how I came out to her. And um, from then, the rest of my family, I I talked to them. But I think some some of the most helpful things, some of the things I wasn't expecting but really appreciated, were people allowing me to discuss it on my own terms. Um, Multiple people said, do you want to talk about this more? How would you like me to respond? What kind of things do you want to talk? Do you want me to ask questions? Do you want to just let it sit? Like, just treat things like normal, like we didn't talk. How would you like for me to respond? And that was really cool. I didn't really have an answer for that at the time. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm emotional. (laughs) But um, it allowed me the space to decide, okay, where do I go from here? And how how can we talk about this next? I I really appreciated that. Did you ever feel judged when you you came out or have a negative experience? Um, Yes and no, because I knew mainly it wasn't coming from a place of judgment. Um, for example, uh, multiple times when I had come up to people, the initial questions were, okay, what about the church? What about, um, dating? What about marriage? What about some, some of these really heavy topics where I had just barely come to terms with my own sexuality. So them jumping straight to that, um, almost seemed like there was a condition for their love. Like, yes, we love you unconditionally, but what about this stuff? What about all these things? And what about all these aspects? And I wasn't sure if they were asking from a place of just like, I want to just see where you're at or, 
okay, yes, I want to know where you're at, but are you meeting these this criteria of what I believe and what I want you, how, how I want you to live kind of thing. So I didn't feel like it was just straight up like, wow, you're gay. Well, I'm done talking with you kind of thing. But it was kind of like indiscreetly or um, indirectly felt kind of judgmental a little bit. More on that note, and maybe to, to shift a little bit, in the church, and I'm sure there's a lot to unravel here, but what has been your experience being a member and continuing to go to church and being gay? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> loaded uh, question, but... Loaded question, but um, really, really important. I feel like it's been one of the places of most discomfort in 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 this journey um there was some discomfort and fear about coming out to people but a lot of that was also because of the church and because i was living in 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 a culture where that was very strong that those religious beliefs um experiences with people overall have been have been really positive uh i mean you guys kind of all know we're all we're all in the same ward actually. So, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a fact too. We're all the same ward. Yeah, we're all, we're all in the same way, <laughs> same ward. <laughs> but um, so we kind of know the ward and the conversations we've had, and they've been awesome. So I I couldn't have asked for a better ward or a better bishop. When I when I came out to to my bishop for the first time, uh, his first response was, "I want to learn more. Please tell me more about your experience." It wasn't, he didn't even jump into questions about what was going on, or I, I, I've heard so many stories of someone coming out and the bishop instantly asking, is like, okay, so have you done stuff with men? Have you done, have you had sex? Kind of, yeah, just jumping straight into things. And he didn't even get close to that. He just asked, please tell me your experience. I want to understand this so I can know what's best for you. And that was awesome. That was so cool. And, and most of the people I've talked to in the ward never have, I have I felt judged or excluded or seen differently maybe they have had questions want to understand things but never like in a sense of uh like exclusion kind of thing so i once had um this bishop asked me what can we do to help you feel more comfortable at church because i had mentioned that it's hard sometimes going to church and sitting through you know second hour and second meeting i i leave and i'm anxious and i'm stressed and i don't feel good i actually feel worse than before i went and he asked me, he's like, so what can we do? How can we change that? And I told him it's it's not so much an external thing. For some people, that, that could be very true. They come to church and they, they feel judged. But for me, it's a, it's a very internal battle. Um, and I'm figuring out where I stand with stuff. I'm reevaluating some of my beliefs. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily like a faith crisis, but I'm critically thinking through what, what I really believe in. And sometimes that's hard. That can be a really lonely process because... No one can tell you what to believe, you know. Um, I can have conversations with people and have them help me maybe view things in, in better ways or more healthy ways. But in the end, it's it's my journey. And so that's that's been kind of hard. And having those conversations sometimes with people is, is tough because they're willing to allow people to have questions and doubts as long as they come to the same conclusion that you believe what I believe. Whereas if they leave, sometimes there's this awkward, like, Okay, now how do I address this? How do I talk about this? And so it can be hard even having those conversations when people don't allow that space for like, wait, if you, hey, you know, if you leave, you don't believe the same things I do, you're still just as welcome. I love you just as much. That's great. And I feel like 
everyone, especially in the church as well, we're all trying to understand more. I feel like everyone wants to be able to, but sometimes people come about it the wrong way or maybe come out the wrong way or the right way mm-hmm. as well. And what do you think is the wrong or right way to you? Like, how would you want to be welcomed? How would you want to be asked about it? How would you want to be treated? Well, one is just asking questions to understand. Um, I've, I've seen the difference between like leading questions and questions looking for a specific answer <laughs> versus just tell me your experience kind of yeah. questions and understand understanding. Um, I think that's like the first place to start. If, if there's a topic where you're not as versed in or uncomfortable even talking about, I found that the best way to overcome that is personal connection. Finding a personal connection with someone, um, whether that's someone you know, or reading stories and finding you know a, a way to empathize with people. I think that's been huge for me. And that's where I've seen the biggest difference in how people treat me is when there is that empathy already built. Um, other than that, normalizing conversations. I feel like that's been huge. Um, so much of the shame that I felt before coming out that I'm still like still trying to deal with uh, has come from silence and from just not being able to discuss the topic. Whereas other roommates that I've had have been so good at normalizing the conversation. They'll ask like, once I came out, they're like, dude, let's talk about your crushes then. I want to know like <laughs> what, what kind of dude you're into and stuff. I'm like, okay, like, all right, we can talk about that. Um, and so I had a great roommate. He would, he would joke about it all the time. And it was in a way where I knew where he was coming from and I felt safe. And so like I would tell him like, yeah, I'm going with the, I'm going to meet with the USGA. We got, you know, our Thursday activity. He's like, I don't know. That sounds kind of gay. And I was just like, all right, dude, you're welcome to come. Can you clarify that club is oh yes absolutely so usga stands for understanding sexuality gender and allyship it's a group of byu students it's a non-official group so it's not byu um it's not connected with byu but it's run by byu students and just a place where we meet every week to have conversations activities um basically talk talk about um different aspects of sexuality mental health and a lot of other stuff too so it's a, it's a really cool, cool place. That's I'm the secretary so cool. for that organization right now. That's which is great. awesome. And I love what you said that you want to normalize the conversation with people. And it goes back to what you said before. One of the reasons you were scared of coming out was the negative rhetoric and connotation of that bishop or bishop's wife saying, oh, that is devastating that that happened. Oh, that's so horrific that that would happen. Yeah. Is that like, I think what you're saying is you want to kind of normalize that and say, it's not horrific. It's not horrendous when someone comes out. It's not a burden that's being put upon someone. It's something good. It's someone coming to terms with who they are. Absolutely. Um, That's one of the reasons I really dislike the phrase struggling with same-sex attraction. I'm like, you know, the struggle is not that I'm gay. That's not a struggle for me. I'm, I'm great with that. And I have a great, understanding of that sexuality now the struggle is living in a society that doesn't accept it that's the struggle and hearing that the negative rhetoric and just how people talk about it i mean you you're the ones creating the struggle honestly um if it was just a normal conversation then there wouldn't be this stigma there wouldn't be these the shame there wouldn't be the suicides that we see in in gay youth um i did i was doing a study and uh doing some research and it, estimates are that one in every 20 people is LGBTQ. That's, that's maybe a, uh, a safe estimate. Obviously, different studies show different results. But so about 5% of people are queer. 
and 50% of the um, suicides in Utah, male suicides, come from gay youth. 50% of the, su the suicides in young men are coming from 5% of the population. So that was, that was really sad hearing that and thinking, I was thinking about my experiences, the way we talk about this, the, the things I see on social media, the policies in, in the legislature and like communities and stuff. It's, it's no wonder that kids are feeling like they don't belong and that they can't belong. And oftentimes that leads to these thoughts of self-hatred and suicide because they feel like they have nowhere else to go. So I feel like changing that rhetoric and just making it a normal conversation in all, in all aspects, in, in church, in family, in, in friendships, in dating, whatever it might be, just being able to talk about it normally, I think is huge. So if, if we were to talk normally about like your experiences with suicide, if there was something you wanted to say, to maybe like normalize or share, uh, this isn't a topic that's shared very often. You know, what would, what would be like things you would share to normalize that experience? Uh, that's a great question to normalize suicide conversations around that. Um, I think, I think there, with, with both mental health and suicide, there, there are a lot of stigmas and, and I, I acknowledge that it can be uncomfortable. If someone brings that up, a lot of people think, how do I respond? Like, what, what do I even say to that? Um, not because either they don't care or whatever, but they're, they're just unsure of, okay, what do I do kind of thing. Um, for me, uh, I, I did have suicide ideation and I've had it. It's kind of fluctuated um, with my mental health. Um, but in the, in the darkest times, like right before coming out, where I had started to accept my own identity, but hadn't come out yet, I feel like that was a really, really difficult time where I wasn't sure what was going to happen after I did come out. And there was a lot of suicide ideation there. Uh, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't quite like giving up. It wasn't a way, I don't know, giving up on life. I saw it as a way of going home, which is really sad. I'd look back at that now and how bad of a state I was in where that was my best option. Where like, I can just leave and not worry about this. I can, and I can go just be with God right now where I don't have to worry about what other people are going to think of me. Um, I don't have to worry about the uncertainty, worry about the shame and all of those really negative thoughts. And at the time, I kind of wished that I had heard stories of, you know, fatal car crashes or something like that, or like fate, um, diseases that, you know, kill people. And I almost felt jealous. Like, I wish that was me. And so I could just get, you know, be in a car crash, die, and it wouldn't have the shame of actually like, committing suicide. So I would, there wouldn't be the stigma of, someone doing, uh, um, you know, doing that. And I think that was propagated and incentivized by a lot of statements. Like I said, you know, that once you're resurrected, you'll be straight. I'm like, well, let's just go there then. <laughs> That's, that sounds good to me. Or um, things like in, in the church, uh, a general conference talk I heard was that the, you know, the end of all membership in the church was for a man and a woman to be happily married in the temple and have children. I'm like, well, then what's the point? <laughs> what's the point for me? Why, why even go through this if I can't even be part of that? And um, I did go over it. I started talking with people and opened up a little bit about it. Uh, that's, this is about as open as I've been about it. Um, so yeah, congrats, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it helped once 
I was able to start talking. I think vulnerability is a huge thing. Once we start talking about it more, I think people will recognize that it's okay to talk about one. And two, there are people who are willing to help. There are people who care, people who will be affected if you do commit suicide. I promise that there are people that love you and that will miss you and you're not alone. And that's where a lot of suicide comes from is that there's no other option. There's no other way out of these really negative feelings, depression, whatever it might be, other than killing yourself. And that, that's definitely not true. Any other topics, Tyler, that you want to, like anything else you want to talk about? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I haven't told many people this, so I, I've talked about it in group therapy. So we'll see how do you guys feel about it. But uh, when I was figuring things out as a kid, you know, junior high, lots of emotions, lots of insecurity. <laughs> That's just a bad time for a lot of people. But <laughs> I feel like especially for LGBTQ people, um, I remember starting to watch like coming out videos and stuff like that. And at the time, obviously, I was just like, well, this isn't applied to me. It's just, I'm just interested. You know, denial was palpable um, for sure. But uh, I was at school watching, I was working on something after school and I was watching a, uh, like a coming out video. And I would seen like um, a trailer for a gay movie. And I was like, ooh, I'm kind of interested to see what's gonna be. because. I haven't even been able to address these things. And at the time I wasn't thinking like, oh, it's because I'm gay, let's go check this out. I was just like, I'm curious, you know? And so I watched the trailer for that. And in the trailer, there were, you know, two guys kissing. And um, after the video, my screen went off and the, like the assistant in the computer lab came over and she's like, are you watching stuff that's for school? And I was like, I don't know. And she's like, you need to leave. And I was like, okay. And I was kind of freaking out because I felt like I had just been exposed kind of thing. And so the next day I get called into the office and my, my dad was there and I just started losing it. I started getting really anxious because we hadn't had these conversations. I didn't know where I was at and I got suspended for that, which thinking back, I'm like, that's ridiculous. There was no, nothing um, inappropriate with the video, but being homosexual, that was the main leading reason for why I got suspended. And that introduced a whole lot of problems. Some of my parents are asking, are you gay? I'm not ready to have that conversation. Um, I got upset and I was really angry that they would assume that because I was in denial. And so even having that conversation put me in a really bad place where um, a little bit later I started going to therapy. And going to therapy, it was, it was um, recommended through the church. I can't remember exactly if it was um, like LDS services, but uh, his his practices were clear that I'm LDS, these are my beliefs, this is kind of the direction that I would like to go. And obviously at the time, that's what I wanted. I was like, yeah, let's, oh, I want to be done with this kind of thing, with these feelings. And so we started talking and throughout our visits, I only went like four or five times. He basically was trying to convince me or help convince myself that I wasn't gay. Um, it wasn't like conversion therapy, I would I would say, or close to that, but basically help viewing it in ways that were very unhealthy. Like I would just tell myself, I'm just comparing myself to other guys or uh, I just want to be popular like them. And I bought into that so readily because I didn't want to be gay. And I realized later on how damaging that was. Um, it definitely 
prolonged my coming out, my own acceptance, my and propagated my self hatred that I had for this. And I really wish I didn't have that experience. And in a way, I mean, it works because I'm here now and uh, I can talk about it. But um, just thinking about therapy, I, I really hope that no therapist, church leader, ecclesiastical leader ever puts that on someone to say, to try to convince them that they are something that they're not. Um, it can be really damaging. And it was for me. So if you're ever, ever in a situation where that's coming up, don't ever minimize someone's experience. Don't ever try to convince them that they're actually not gay. I've had so many people tell me like, why, why do you feel like you need to identify as gay? You're a child of God. That should be your principal identity. And I usually tell them like, well, usually that happens because I've had to fight so hard to convince people and prove to people that my experience is valid and that I'm worthy of love. If it hadn't been like that, if it just had been a normal thing where we could talk about this or where it was accepted readily, then it probably wouldn't be such a huge part of my identity because I wouldn't have to have fought for it so, so hard. That's a huge point that you bring up is identity. I think identity is something that we all strive to see of like, what is our identity here on earth? If you could talk to someone, whether it be your previous self uh, before you came out or talking to someone in a similar situation, before you came out as well, what would you tell them? Someone who may be struggling, someone who may be struggling with their identity, like not knowing what to do and not knowing what the next step is. Because it, we learn it's not a struggle. It's something that is you. What would you tell that person? I'll, I'll answer that as, as if I'm telling it to myself, like my past self, what I would tell myself. Because um, everyone else's experience is a little bit different and the context and their own safety and the environment that they're in. So I wanna be aware of that. But for myself, um, I would tell myself to be patient, to allow myself to sit in uncertainty, which is a lot easier said than done. And I'm still in that spot and I, and I still hate it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to work on it and be patient that you may not have all the answers. And, that, and I don't think that only goes for LGBTQ identity. When, when you're figuring out who you are, uncertainty is kind of inevitable. It's going to be part of it. You're figuring stuff out. And so being patient with yourself and allowing your sp yourself the space to think about it in, in a non-judgmental way. Um, if that means removing yourself from harsh environments or unsafe places or from toxic people, then do it. Make yourself comfortable and be with people who, who love you and that you can trust so you can figure that out without, without the shame, without the self-hatred and all and all that comes with that sometimes. Um, another thing I would say is that you are not responsible for people's expectations or people's perceptions. Uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself um, to live in a certain way or to believe certain things because of other people's expectations. And that brought me a lot of stress um, sometimes because there was dissonance and figuring out, do I actually subscribe to this or do I want to live in this way? And um, thinking about basically, basically thinking how I, it would affect other people. When in reality, this is my life. I, I am I'm choosing what I believe, um, figuring out what I believe, and basing my decisions off of that as well. And so, don't put pressure on yourself if other people are trying to influence that and trying to come in. And that's hard because obviously, as parents, as LDS, 
um, you know, ecclesiastical leaders and stuff. That's that's kind of the expectation. That's that's, that's your job is to help guide your children and guide people in the church. But um, allowing people their their autonomy, I think, is huge because feeling trapped makes people do irrational things and do things that they wouldn't decide otherwise. So I think just allowing that space to to have the conversation, to think through it healthily is is huge. Awesome. Maybe as one of our ending questions, what do you hope that people know, do, or say, what would would help build a more empathetic community in, in your eyes? It seems really simple. And it seems like just oversimplifying it, but LGBTQ people are people. We're, we're human beings too. Um, I think a lot of an issue is the difference between viewing someone as maybe different, as having a different experiences, a uh, different experience versus viewing them as deviant. And I think there's a huge distinction there where inherently sometimes if someone comes out or there's a label placed on them, there's a lot of stigma and a lot of assumptions about that person instantly and um allowing allowing people the space to show who they are and show their their values and their belief system it gives them space to build healthy relationships and build community and destroy the us versus them mentality that often exists and i think that 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 comes from just not understanding and and that's usually what i what i do when whenever there's someone attacking whenever there's someone that's very polarized on one end or or something like that i usually think it's not because they're just a hateful person or they just have you know a really cold heart or they have no soul it's usually because i think they probably misunderstand something or they don't understand this person's experience um and so that's what i would say get to know people listen to their stories just like we're doing right here Thanks so much, Tyler. It's a huge honor uh, to be able to hear like a piece of your story. We're the biggest fans of you ever. Just to echo what Mike said, you're so brave and just thank you for being here and thanks for sharing. Appreciate that. Thank you. I think it's also an example of what you just talked about, being vulnerable, because that's what really brings power to a community and to oneself. Thanks. I don't know. Thank you so much.